It's Tuesday, May 4th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Mr. Asit Sharma. Good to see you. Good to see you, Chris. Uh, so happy to be back on Market Foolery. We've got tech for education. We've got tech for your home, but we are going to start today with consumer health earnings. Shares of CVS Health are hitting a two-year high this morning. First quarter profits and revenue came in higher than expected. Traffic is up at the stores. They raised guidance for the full fiscal year. I should point out that Karen Lynch became the CEO back in February. And I think for investors, the Lynch era appears to be off to a good start. There's nothing like a good earnings report to give you some momentum when you take over the helm of such a big company like this. So good for Karen Lynch and good on Karen Lynch. I mean, these are nice results. I was impressed, you know, Chris, as you point out, the the company uh, had really nice um, both revenue and earnings growth. Really well divided between healthcare, sales up 6.7%, pharmacy, uh, those revenues are up 3.8%, and retail, a little bit slower, 2.3% uh, revenue growth. But these three big cylinders, which is bad metaphor because... You ever heard of a three-cylinder engine? I don't think so. <laughs> At any rate, uh, on on these fronts, uh, you know, hitting their stride in each of these big um, buckets, and it it sort of is proving out the value proposition uh, from the big acquisition a few years ago of of acquiring Aetna Healthcare, which now is the benefits portion of this business. I think they had probably the strongest results and. The only, I mean, you know, the only question in my mind, you mentioned they're at an all-time high, and I was curious about your thoughts on this. We can talk a little bit more about the numbers. Is this has been a volatile stock, hasn't it, Chris? It's sort of up and down. I, I know they are up today, and that's great. The, I saw the markets a, a little bit down today, but CVS Health has had trouble just gaining traction. It seems like they're a peak and valley sort of stock for the last, oh, I don't know, about three years or so. Yeah, it, this is definitely one of those businesses that the longer you hold it, and I suppose there are a lot of businesses like that, um, the longer you've owned this stock, sort of the better you feel. But this is, I, you know, this is a stock that is at a two-year high. Um, it is still well below where it was, um, say, in 2015. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I talked about Karen Lynch sort of taking over the helm back in February. I mean, there's, there's still, um, I, f- I feel like there's still a lot of room to run for this business if they can pull all the correct levers, um, because this is a business that really doubled down on health a decade ago um, when they made the decision to stop selling tobacco products. And when that happened, the stock sold off about 5% that day because tobacco products counted for a couple billion dollars worth of revenue for them. So, um, But you look at the investments they make in the Minute Clinic, um, sort of all of the service side of healthcare, um, I, I, think it's, uh, I think they're going about it the right way. And I think it also helps that, at least in terms of drugstores, as we think about them in the United States, um, they're they're really sort of the um, best in class. Um, it'll be interesting to see what Roz Brewer um, does uh, since she recently took over this, the corner office at Walgreens um, after um, all the great work she did at Starbucks. So I'm I wouldn't I wouldn't bet against Roz Brewer, but I think there are a lot of built-in advantages that CVS Health has relative to others in their industry. 
Yeah, I agree totally. I think that they made um, absolutely a gutsy decision a few years ago on the tobacco products. But you look at them today, and if you're a shareholder, as Chris says, you got to be happy. I'm just uh, skimming through some of these big picture numbers. So revenue, nice increase uh, for the quarter to about $69 billion, That's with a B, uh, over about $66.8 billion in the year ago period. Operating income has a nice little bump up from about $3.5 billion to $3.6 billion. Net income the same, $2.2 billion. And I think what's important for shareholders is uh, cash flow. Really, really great operating cash flow um, from this company. This is one of the things uh, I think is part of the thesis. You sort of wait for uh, the company to uh, start this uh, momentum in all three segments, and those operating cash flows are going to grow. Now, this $2.9 billion, it's actually a little bit reduced from the year ago period, which was $3.3 billion. But my point is sort of a larger one. This is sort of now, I think it's a dividend play. As, as you point out, um, this feels like a stock that's been down for a while. But as the thesis comes together, for those of you who have this long-term view, you're investing partially for a dividend and partially to see that stock chart maybe start to normalize a bit as investors recognize that the three of these big ideas together, the benefits portion, the pharmacy, and that retail uh, portion, which, Chris, I think you, you also alluded to this. They, they have a really nice placement, corner placement that Walgreens always tried to, to do all over uh, the U.S. So I think they're well positioned for this comeback in the uh, consumer getting out of the house and, and going to the corner um, pharmacy, not just for the pharmaceutical prescription, but just to pick up the small stuff, uh, even food items. So I think this is uh, maybe a company that's been overlooked simply because it's so big, but I really love the cash flows. I love the steady net income and revenue growth. And I think, you know, maybe more people should pay attention to this one. The rise of the machines is taking a bit of a hit this morning. Shares of iRobot falling 13%, despite the fact that first quarter profits were much higher than expected. iRobot is the company that makes the Roomba vacuum. Um, on the surface, this looks like a good quarter. So what, what is going on with the stock? Is this guidance? Is this the, the cost of components going up? Yeah, it, it is. It's both of those, Chris. It's about pricing power. Uh, but before I answer your question, let me just second you on this strong quarter. A few years ago, I was writing about iRobot, and I think even early last year on our live show for Motley Fool subscribers, I was talking about penetration into Japan, which is such a gadget-centric country, even more so than we are here. And they, they had a great quarter in Japan, revenues up 53%. In the US, revenue grew 40% year-over-year, 74% year, in Europe. Um, they have certainly benefited from the pandemic. They've benefited from leaning more on a direct-to-consumer model as well. I mean, this looked like a great quarter. In fact, the company um, raised its revenue guidance, <laughs> but in doing so, they held their operating, um, their profit guidance, operating income guidance, and earnings per share guidance steady. So let's just think through that again. Revenues are getting higher, but profit isn't changing. And that's because of what you mentioned. It's rising material costs. We sort of forgot during the pandemic that there had been a, a tariff war going on between the US and China. And to some extent, manufacturers had absorbed that. We all know that inflation is rising. So different inputs into uh, these devices that 
iRobot builds, the Roomba, and their whole line, those are subject to commodity inflation. And then on top of that, you have this chip shortage that we're all starting to hear about. The worldwide supply of uh, semiconductor chips is th that whole supply chain is really creaky just now because so many companies pulled back on ordering chips and decided that because the, the pandemic was indefinite, they would hold back. And as a result, now everyone wants chips all at once in every industry. When you're making smart robots, you need chips. And that's part of it. So what investors basically are saying is, we're concerned that all this pricing power we saw during the pandemic is now going to be a victim to inflation, to chip shortages, to, to higher steel costs. So all of that together has investors reevaluating the stock. And Chris, it didn't look so bad last night when you were chatting, but I, I checked this morning and uh, iRobot stock was down about well, almost 14%. What are your thoughts on this big picture? Uh, so a couple thoughts. One is, I, I forget where I heard this, but I heard someone um, make a comment in the financial media about the chip shortage. And it was something to the effect of, I think some companies are going to use this as an excuse. And I just thought, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see how that's going to work. <laughs> I, don't, I don't see how companies are going to effectively make the case that the chip shortage is hurting them, if in fact it is not. This is one of those companies that I look at and I say, yeah, that, it totally makes sense to me that if iRobot, given their line of work, when they're talking about uh, the rising cost of components, when they're talking about the chip shortage, yeah, it totally makes sense. You know, this is not one of those things where... Uh, sometimes you'll see it where some businesses will will blame the weather for bad results, and it's like, I, I, yeah, I don't think that actually is why your results were bad. Um, so that, you know, that's one thought I have on the chip shortage. You know, the, the other is this is um, this is sort of the the go to name in this space. You know, so I I, I sort of feel like. That's one of those advantages that doesn't necessarily show up on the balance sheet. But, you know, I know there are other companies that make these types of devices. But I'm sure that, uh, and I know from conversations I've had with, with analysts like you, that when talking about those others, when it gets explained to someone like me who's not as, you know, um, deep into the industry as, as you guys get, um, it gets explained as like, oh, they're like an iRobot. Um, so I, I think that as you look at, you know, and, and we can go back to CVS for a second here too. I mean, one way to look at investing and, and looking at your own portfolio is, well, what are the industries I want exposure in? There are a lot of different ways to look at your portfolio in terms of how it is constructed. And you can look at a business like CVS Health and look at your own portfolio and say, you know, I don't really have a lot of exposure to consumer health. Maybe this is one of those stocks I should, you know, consider if I'm going to construct my portfolio that way. I think iRobot is is you know one of those businesses in terms of like, okay, robotics, particularly as they relate to consumers. I mean, to me, this is. I, look, I'm sure there's a drone company out there that is just going to crush it 
over the next 20 years. I don't know which one it is, um, but to me, iRobot is one of those businesses that I think is a lot easier for a lot of people, myself included, to wrap their head around, where it's like, okay, I get, I get why someone would want some of these devices in their home. Yeah, for sure. Um, I, I will say it like this, it really, really astute point there. My wife and I were chatting uh, just the other day, so we don't have any kind of robotic device. And, and we do have a robotic device because when I sweep the floor, and we've got a vacuum cleaner for our kitchen, and, and I also sweep our floor. I feel very robotic because I'm, I'm doing it, <laughs> it seems like all the time. So I'm in robotic mode. But in terms of a real robot, when we were discussing it, we didn't say, hey, we need one of those like automated floor sweeper slash vacuum devices. We said, we need a Roomba. So we're thinking of going in for one. And this is the difference. They have the brand power. And, you know, as, as I was referring to before, if you can make it in Japan with your brand, that shows that as an electronics device, you've, you've got a lot of potential all over the globe. And this is something we should remember about iRobot. The argument's been made for a long time that this is a commodity business and its numerous competitors will uh, undercut it. But they've displayed a lot of pricing power, of course, up until today, which are, these are more external factors. So... I'm not going out and, and recommending that people pile into iRobot, but I am saying that if you like the company, if you liked it before and you see the haircut it's got today and you understand that large brand and um, how financially sound it's been as it's built its business, uh, you know, this might be a time to nibble on some shares. Yeah. The last thing I'll add is that, you know, to go back to the chip shortage, I mean, it is, it is one, look, this is... Uh, a real challenge for a lot of companies across a lot of industries, and so we're talking about iRobot. But you know, just if you don't own shares of iRobot, as I'm guessing the majority of people listening right now don't, um, hey, use this as an opportunity to look at your portfolio and ask the question: How exposed are the companies that I own shares of with respect to this chip shortage? And if you find a couple that you think are exposed, that's a little homework assignment. Dig into like, well, what is management saying? How are they going? You know, that, that, that's part of what separates great management from good management is how they weather the unexpected storms. So, we Absolutely. can move on to Chegg. First quarter revenue for Chegg, 51% higher than a year ago. This is the online education company. They raised guidance. Normally, that's a recipe for the stock bumping up a little bit, but shares are basically flat today, although the shares of Chegg have almost doubled over the past year. Yes, uh, it's a company I've been interested in a while. I think even before the pandemic, they really had a good lock on one part of the market, which is helping students to try to succeed in the classroom with textbook quizzes um, and more and more tools that are artificially uh, in artificial intelligence powered, I should say. So, if you think about using a program to help you with your grammar or a program that watches you as you solve math problems and then suggests you different ways to solve the problem. These are the types of tools that Chegg has been investing in. So, they were in great shape for uh, the pandemic and probably not to anyone's surprise, a company which specializes in remote learning tools really flourished over the last year, still growing very quickly. But Chegg has a history of beating not only its own uh, projections, but beating uh, analysts' projections. You sort of sometimes hit that inevitable wall where the, the growth is really spectacular, 
but it's not what analysts expected. So they're flattish in the market today. I think they were up pre-market, and now the the total market is down, and they followed suit. Wanted to say a couple of things about them. So one number that I look at is um, the number of Chegg subscribers. I like to see uh, that as Chegg Services subscribers. I like to see that at a healthy rate. That increased 64% year over year, so even more than total net revenues. I love that number. Um, the total Chegg Services revenues, which is the bulk of the business, that increased 62% year over year to $162 million. So, still actually a very small company if you think about it. The company, uh, I think, is poised even beyond the pandemic to keep growing as more and more students um, are going to want this progression of using Chegg in high school, where a lot of them get hooked on the services into college. I will say I don't like their tagline, and I've mentioned this before. <laughs> a small diversion here. Chegg Incorporated, a smarter way to student. Yeah, it falls flat on my ear. Sometimes you try to change a, a noun into a verb and it works. I don't know. Chris, you're sort of an expert on brands, so just curious before we talk any further about the numbers and the performance, what about that tagline? Is yeah, it just me or is that, is that, is that uh, Michelangelo level to you? No, that's that's clunky, and and uh, they they need to. They, there's room for improvement there, you know. In the same way that we talk about stocks that have room to run, yeah, that tagline has room to run. There's a way. There's a way to make that better, um, without you know turning it into the tagline version of Truist or Tronk or something like that. But yeah, I agree with that. Sure. So um, anyway, a few more words about the quarter. I did want to point out that um, their gross margin projection uh, for the year they. Pull that back slightly to the 68, 69% range. Um, the outlook for next quarter is slightly higher, 69 to 70%. Right now, they're in a sweet spot. Why am I focusing on this gross margin number? Somewhere between 68 and 70% is really a stable rate gross margin for this company. If they continue to grow their revenues at this double-digit rate that's you know usually 40 to 50 to 60% with the same gross margin, they have a really clear path to long-term profitability. That's their equation. So, for those of you who are wondering what number should I maybe hone on in for the next few quarters along with that Chegg subscribers number, uh, each quarter you want to see their gross margin fall between 68 and 70%. And they have a history of, of keeping it within there. So, I like that. I want to say globally, I really like the CEO, Dan Rosenzweig. He is a very thoughtful CEO. He understands that this company actually needs to supplement its organic growth with bolt-on acquisitions. They did another capital raise in the quarter. This has been a cadence for them. So they're bulking up their balance sheet to keep acquiring companies as they go along and maybe fend off future competition. A lot to like in the quarter and a lot to like overall uh, in this company. I will say, let's just talk about one risk, is in the past, some unscrupulous students have used Chegg services to cheat on uh, college exams, which is really the worst thing you can do. Um, they have pretty much worked with universities to sort of close that door. It's an ever-present risk in investing in Chegg, but I think watching them over the last couple of years, they're slowly get a, getting a handle on that and trying to exclude the bad actors. There's always going to be some in a class, Chris, that are looking over their shoulders at the student beside them at the next, next desk. And in an online uh, environment, there's always going to be a few bad eggs in, in every class who are trying to find other ways to cheat. Czech doesn't want to have that as part of their uh, global reputation as they grow. 
real quick before we go, this for all the growth and success of Chegg, this is an $11 billion company. This is not prohibitively enormous. If some behemoth were to come in and make them a godfather offer, who do you think would be a likely candidate? Because off the top of my head, and I say this in part on the relative spending spree they've been on lately, it wouldn't be the most shocking thing in the world to me if Microsoft walked in with a check for $15 billion, $20 billion, something like that, um, and decided that Chegg was going to be a bolt-on acquisition for Microsoft. Yeah, I love that idea. I think that would be uh, a really great example of a potential suitor. One other little less obvious one is an erstwhile competitor. Amazon.com used to be a head-on-head competitor with Chegg because Chegg was only in the rentals business. They started out renting textbooks to students, and then they were renting e-textbooks. And they still do some of that, but it's more like a side business now. But there was a time when it was an open question, will Amazon just come in and scoop up Chegg? Um, it, it's not quite Amazon's industry anymore. Chegg has moved on more into that education aspect. But, you know, that could be a, a interesting bolt-on acquisition for Amazon. They've looked at it before. They, they don't do a lot of that. Microsoft makes a lot more sense, Chris. My bet would be uh, Microsoft. There are some uh, not really true competitors, but peers in the same industry like Coursera that probably aren't big enough, but it could be like a merger of equals. Coursera just went public um, a few weeks ago, really. So there are some other ideas, but I love Microsoft. They could just pull you know, a, a dime out of, not even their pocket, <laughs> they could pull a dime out of that little place in your jeans, the sub pocket, <laughs> you know, that little pocket that holds some change or, or maybe a, a key or two. They could pull out a dime and, and buy this company tomorrow. Uh, producer Dan Boyd just sent me a message on Slack to, to go back to something from early in the episode. Uh, he said, three-cylinder engines are common in racing, in F1 and F2, and he, also there are tons of three-cylinder motorcycles. So there you go, people. That's, uh, that's just a little extra world knowledge from producer Dan Boyd. Dan, I owe you one for saving my butt on that metaphor. But <laughs> you made me look so good now. I knew that. One of my sons is a big F1 fan. Asa, great talking to you. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate it. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.